0: Welcome to Digfin Vox, the podcast brought to you by Digital Finance Media. Digfin is a new online media platform covering the people and organizations using technology to transform financial services. My name is Dave Zweifler. Today on Digfin, we speak once again with James DiBiaseo, the editor at Digital Finance Media, about his conversations at Fund Forum with active fund managers who are feeling the heat from Chinese distributors. So, Jane, you just got back from Fund Forum in Hong Kong. Uh, and from your story, it sounded like it was a little bit of a freak out about, uh, among the active fund managers. Did I read that right?
1: I think that the, the freak out is justified when it comes to doing business in mainland China uh, and perhaps a, a small freak out when it comes to the rest of the business. It's not all bad news, but, uh, but there are definite challenges for the traditional active funds management industry.
0: Now, um, I mean, I, I've been seeing, uh, you know, reports from uh, consulting groups going back to 2014 talking about how uh, the likes of Alibaba and Baidu have been, um, you know, taking uh, the, the, the the spare change and the savings of of their customers and uh, providing a return on it. This, this has been coming for a while, hasn't it? I, I, are people being caught yeah. flat-footed uh, uh, on this?
1: You're right, Dave. It's uh, it's not new. Uh, Tianhong Asset Management, which is uh, part of the Alibaba empire, has been taking uh, spare change out of its e-commerce business and putting into money market funds uh, for about four years. Uh, and it rapidly shot from nowhere in China to becoming the largest fund management, single fund uh, with assets under management in China a few years ago. Uh, but that is just, it keeps gathering steam. And now it is the largest money market fund in the world, Yuebao, uh, is the name of that fund. Um, It means uh, leftover treasures. Um, And uh, it has now got about $165 billion equivalent under management. Wow! Uh, China Merchants Bank just launched a a robo-advisory in China. That's fairly new. Uh, They're probably the first big um traditional financial institution to go down that route and so far they've been gathering a lot of assets. Um so these things aren't brand new. People who pay attention to what goes on in China uh have been have been noting these. I think it's just beginning to gather steam. Uh this has been a smashing success. The UA Bao is it's been around for several years. It's a huge success. Uh people uh, trust it. They trust it more than they trust traditional financial institutions.
0: Wow. Uh, that's um uh, so given what we just talked about, I mean, it sounds like the triumph of marketing and, and, uh, new delivery channels, uh, you know, th- th- that's a really, uh, that, that's a real success story that was driven by those two things.
1: I think that it was, it was some of that, but it's also using, uh, the, the, you know, smart use of data, which, uh, gives you a way to, um, Create products and also to using that data not just for creating money market funds, but for different types of credit scoring um, and creating different experiences. Where you know the more these big these big companies have so much data uh, for whether it's for peer to peer lending or for credit analysis, they can provide much more competitive products at far lower cost and it's not just in mutual funds it's in lending it's in it's on all, all sorts of things and in china up until about one year ago uh the regulator stepped back and really let people experiment they didn't get they didn't get in the way the authorities kind of let companies try different things uh since then uh particularly on the lending side the the central bank has come in with with uh, with regulations that are now shaking up and they, they want to get rid of a lot of these players because they do know that there's a lot of dubious stuff. But there's also some really legitimate stuff in there too that's, that's transforming the way that financial services work. So China's really at the forefront of, of fintech in, at a global pace, although a lot of it is yet to be um, – a lot of it won't, won't export very well. Uh, so how much of this could be replicated in, the, in you know another big market like the United States, uh, all, part of it could be, but not all of it.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, I mean, because, you know, uh, the, what bankers look at? There's there's a lot of talk on this uh, side of the Pacific on uh, about looking at things like social media scoring for the purposes of, of uh, making better credit decisions, and certainly uh, it, it can be used to detect fraud. But I was just at a bank directors' conference today in New York, and uh, they um, you know they were saying that they're not really using that social media stuff. They're really kind of just sticking with the, the tried and true measures, and they're they're making it more efficient but but it sounds like these guys might actually be looking at different data sets and
1: using China, this, yeah it's a reality in China
0: Wow uh, that's cool. It's we could probably a- do a whole show just on uh, just on that
1: yeah, we'll get there later
0: so um let's get back to the conference what What was the mood at the conference? What were some of the key insights that came out for you there?
1: Well, I, I got a chance to uh, sit in on a closed door session, which included a lot of uh, traditional fund management company executives, as well as some some custodian banks and a few, and uh, other service providers. And uh, it was, you know, as Chatham House rules, so I, you know, wouldn't wouldn't name anybody. But I, I'd say there's a uh, apprehension the the traditional funds management industry realizes that they've got some some problems. Uh, the the funds industry on average has enjoyed a very healthy uh, level of profitability for many, many years, decades. Um, but uh, it's really the, the passive challenge has been the, the primary challenge, uh, which is more a story in the United States than it is in, in Asia. Um, but most of the big fund management companies are American, so, uh, so that, that problem uh, translates for them globally. Uh, and also with low interest rates, uh, and, uh, you know, asset prices in all markets, you know, look at the, you know, the NASDAQ just broke 6,000 this week. Asset prices are very high. So, you know, how much room is there really for outperformance? Performance has been, has been steadily declining, uh, over a number of years. Uh, the ability for active fund managers to, to, to beat their, their, their peer set or beat the index has been decreasing. Passive is, you know has definitely won um and then at the same time they've got huge costs of regulation uh and then market volatility is up so these are these are the challenges there's also some challenges that the industry faces globally around uh i guess a division or a dichotomy in their customer base which is it's not good or bad necessarily but it creates uh, it, it can create some confusion in terms of what the business strategy should be you've got on the one hand uh, baby boomers, our uh, parents, who are uh, retired and they have a lot of sh- big gaps in their uh, their financial security, uh, so they they need a, they they need help to you know they they thought they were going to retire and and have lots of lots of money left over, but they're living longer and uh, they just won't go away. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, that's that's a problem. Um, and then on the other the other side of the barbell, you've got millennials, um, which is a much bigger uh, cohort, a lot more—it's a big generation, uh, a lot more people, uh, and they will eventually become extremely rich uh, as, as a group in the aggregate. Mm. Um, but but they're not rich yet. And also, the millennials—you know—they're they're different habits, different uh, different values, and they're very tech savvy. So. So if we are a fund management company, you're kind of torn, which, how do you go? And then, of course, there's, there's Gen Xers like you and me, Dave, and we're just basically screwed.
0: I know. Well, there's only, there's basically three of us. Like there's you and me, right. and there's like one other guy. We're a very, very small, but resilient cohort. Uh, very resilient. And very, can... and very poor, very poor, Yeah, for honest yeah. with ourselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about us, man. Nobody cares about us. Um, but rich but, in uh,
0: journalistic talent.
1: Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's what we've got. Um, so, so these are the, this is the sort of the, the challenge. Now, that, those are all really scary things for fund management companies because they're, they're very, that's a lot of headwinds. Uh, but the, the way out of this is cer- almost certainly going to be, uh, technological adoption. I mean, that's really the, If there's any kind of, if there's anything that looks closely or could possibly resemble a silver bullet, it's going to be, it's going to be technology. Uh, tech is, is the way that you can square these problems. You know, you can personalize services. You can use, uh, big data and machine learning to come up with ways to reduce costs, not just compliance costs, but also perhaps reduce the cost of your, of course, your operations, I mean, fund management companies uh, for, for many, many years have been trying to automate straight through processing and all this stuff, and that will just continue, um, and and they're no stranger to, to that. Uh, but, but I think now tech is moving out of the back office and it's, it's transforming the entire business, or at least it, it should transform the business. I don't think it actually has yet for most of these traditional guys. Uh, but everything from how they you know, we, we talked about social scoring, uh, earlier, you know, that can apply at an institutional level too. I mean, how do they go about analyzing a credit? Um, the, the transparency it can bring to pricing, um, which is good for the customer, uh, using, you know, right now, when we talk about robo advisory, you know, we're talking about for the most part, pretty simplistic. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, a couple of categories of risk level. It's not sophisticated, um, basket of ETFs, whatever. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a point when this stuff actually starts performing well. Uh, there was one speaker, uh, representing a company called Bento. She's got a, she's got an ETF. She's trying to actually use it to outperform markets. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but you know, that's the play. So, um, you know there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen uh in in this and what it comes down to i think is not just oh, i'm good at technology or you know i've got a bunch of propeller heads running the business um i think it's do you really understand your customer and can you use technology to make your customer have a much better experience
0: i'm wondering what that technology would look like for our cohort I, i'm i'm thinking maybe you know Somebody who will console yeah. us for our, our empty bank accounts that looks like Winona Ryder, pretty much. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But um, it is true that our generation isn't really the the focus yeah, of, yeah, uh, yeah. of business models. Uh, but my point is that focusing on the customer doesn't mean you have to choose between do I service the baby boomers oh, yeah, or yeah, do yeah. I
0: customize it. it.
1: It means that you have, you have ways to personalize – the messages you have ways to personalize the, the investment products. decisions, mm-hmm. the, the the products, the advice, and this is another this is another area where fund managers are are scared about, and it's accelerating in China, which is why I wrote that article because I think China is really cutting edge in these trends, and it'll probably to some extent happen elsewhere, where, uh, but but it's it is global where wealth managers. <clears throat> i.e., what used to be just a distribution channel, have become far more powerful than the asset managers and the manufacturers. So, you know, two decades ago, you know, the powerful buy-side brand names could command a premium because they had the brands, they had the customers, they had uh and, and and along with that, they would have had some really great performing uh alpha products. And that power has leaked steadily to those with the platform. To distribute and the distributors used to be just dumb supermarkets just channels you know but increasingly they have transformed themselves into wealth managers personalization
0: implies, wealth personalization right it
1: applies. it applies um you know in the us model it would be uh you know like the the, the merrill lynch horde of of advisors out there who are providing you a tax estate along along with investments right uh, it would go at the, for rich people, it's the private banks, which do the same, but just at a much more, you know, detailed, sophisticated level. Uh, and even for mass market, uh, schlubs like you and me, it's, you know, you still go to the bank. You know, I don't, uh, I don't go to JP Morgan or Fidelity. Um, you know, <clears throat> although I have a, I have something from my 401k for my, for my New York employment days, but you know, in general, if I wanted to go f- Get a financial product, I, I probably don't go directly to, to one of the houses. Um, I would go to, to the bank, and the bank owns the customer. Yeah. So, and in China, uh, this is true as well. The banks are very powerful, they distribute all the funds. But now we've got these new digital platforms which uh, have uh, ginormous power because of the, the data, the incredible amount of data that they can amass and analyze. And in a way that can't be done outside of china because you don't have any privacy no
0: privacy Yeah. no regs
1: don't have no no consumer protection stuff in china so you couldn't replicate what, what happens in china but i think that there's still a model being set and you know could could somebody in the u.s do something that kind of sort of looks like what happens in china i, I don't know the answer to that but i'm sure a lot of people are are, are investigating china is kind of a petri dish for this and and they the concern for the fund management industry really is what happens when uh, when these players, when Tencent or Alibaba or JD.com or Baidu, when they start not just distributing, but decide that they want to also create their own product in the West. In the banking industry, there is a lot of banks went into trying to create their own funds. So, uh, you know, universal banking. So you'd have banks like City and HSBC and JP Morgan, which were both, which are both creators of product and distributors. But there's always been issues around how they sell in-house product. It's, yep. it's you know there's a lot, a lot of potential
0: know. conflicts of interest and also reputation
1: uh, so risk. The best right So uh, now, now some of these guys have great investment products. So it's it's not a question of do they do they naturally suck or are they actually really good you know in some cases they're good but some banks like Citi decided actually let's just get out of this we prefer to be a distributor and focus on that and get rid of and we'll just do best to breed right. so this this issue might come up in a new format in a more of a digital platform in China it's possible that there could that there could be but if you're a fund management company and you know and Jack Ma or somebody of his of his scale and size is, is selling your product Um, And then he decides at some point that he'll do it himself. uh,
0: You you got to take it seriously. I was going into this conversation thinking like, you know, the Baidus of the world, like, why would they create their own products? But it sounds to me like they actually do have the ability to deliver a superior product by virtue of the fact that they can both – they can apply machine learning and and AI to – both aggregate uh, customer uh, performance and what the individual is actually looking for.
1: That's, that's a possibility. And uh, it's that possibility hasn't yet been tested, but they certainly have the the capability to try.
0: Very cool stuff. Thank you very much, James, for joining us.
1: Thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody.
0: You can see Digfin's story on digital distributors in China at the Digital Finance Media website at www.digitalfinancemedia.com, along with more stories about financial institutions, startups, and regulators. This is Digfin Vox.